Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. It's Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The midterm elections are now less than two weeks away, and both parties are making strategic shifts in messaging and reallocating financial resources. Republicans are moving money away from races they see as a lock and attacking Democrats by doubling down on crime and inflation issues. Democrats are sending resources to areas that were once solidly blue as they've been put on the defensive. And they're changing their messaging away from abortion to the economy and healthcare. Elena Treen, congressional reporter at Axios, joins us for What to Know. Next, we've known for a long time that asbestos is bad for your health. And while the U.S. did regulate safety standards around it, they never banned it. To this day, hundreds of tons of asbestos are shipped to the U.S. for use by chemical companies that produce chlorine. Part of the reason why it was never banned is that protocols are so stringent, these companies made the case that the threat of exposure to workers is very little. However, interviews with employees at one Oxchem plant near Niagara Falls tells a different story. Kathleen McGrory, reporter at ProPublica, joins us for how some workers fear for their health after years of working at these chemical plants. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Whether we uh, maintain control of the Senate and the House is a big deal. And uh, so far, we're running against the tide and we're beating the tide. Joining us now is Elena Treen, congressional reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Elena. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're less than two weeks away from Election Day. What we're seeing right now going on is a lot of last-minute shifts, last-minute shifts in funding and messaging. Democrats are obviously very worried about their prospects in the House. It looks like it could flip over to Republican control. The Senate is a little bit tighter. There's a lot of uh, a few high-profile races that everybody's keeping an eye on. But there again, right, the worry is that they could lose their majority. So we're seeing a lot of changes going on. Elena, tell us what we're seeing out there. Yeah, well, I think one of the big things is, well, one, even if you just take a step back, the macro and historical trends going into this midterm elections shows that Republicans have the upper hand, right? I mean, it's President Biden's first midterms and Democrats control both houses in Congress. And typically that means that you're going to lose seats and the opposing party does better. But I think that was definitely the case in the spring. But then after the Dobbs decision and abortion becoming such a salient issue for so many voters across the country, Democrats really saw a boost over the summer and into the fall because of that messaging. And they spent a lot of funding on that. But I think what we're seeing now, really in the last couple of days and couple of weeks, is that boost that Democrats saw because of the abortion issues beginning to falter. And I think there's a couple reasons for this. And I spoke with many people 
from the different campaign committees, different aides to lawmakers, et cetera. Part of it is the spending and, and how long they've been doing this messaging. So if you look at Democrats, they spend money far earlier than Republicans typically do. Republicans often, this is like the Senate Leadership Fund, uh, the McConnell-aligned group, they typically hold their money later and then try to spend it all at once, whereas Democrats often spend far sooner and message a lot earlier. And mm-hmm. I think the problem that a lot of people were describing to me is with the abortion issue, they're worried that because they've made such a good point about that in the months, so many months now leading up to the election, they're worried that it's stale when it comes to the decision-making right. well, time. We- well, we've seen in, in different polls and all that, uh, you know, top priorities for voters, the abortion issue has fallen down on the list of priorities. And, you know, inflation, the economy, crime, those continue to be the very top issues. And that's where Republicans are doubling down on their messaging. Democrats mm-hmm. are having a pivot right now to focus a little bit more on the economy and healthcare. But the economy is a, a tough one for them to pivot to right now, considering all that's going on. It's very tough. And it's the same. It's, we're seeing exactly that with that messaging on health care. But also, I mean, even on the legislation that Democrats have passed, you can argue that President Biden and this Congress has been the most legislatively successful president and Congress in a long time in, in several years because of the series of legislation they were able to pass, even in, you know, I'd argue a very tight and difficult Congress, given the margins in the Senate and the House, but they're not campaigning on that. You're really not seeing many people lean into the Inflation Reduction Act to lean into the infrastructure deal Mm -hmm. and the American Rescue Plan. They're focusing on the other issues. And the big thing that Democrats are recognizing right now is they need to pivot some of their messaging to really go after what they will do if they hold power to lower costs for Americans, because inflation and the economy and the idea that a global recession is coming is really spooked voters. It's always been important. And we always knew that this would be a top issue for voters. And that's why Republicans have leaned into it so much. But it's making it harder for the other issues and the abortion issue and, and all these legislative successes to be top of mind. And so they're starting to shift their gear as well as funding and where they're spending. I mean, we've seen they're shifting money from certain races into other races. We saw this week that the deep triple C, which is its chief, Sir Patrick Maloney, is in a very, very difficult and tight race. And the DCCC itself is now spending on behalf of its leader directly, giving an extra, you know, more than $600,000 for an attack ad to boost him, which is we haven't seen. You know, if Sean Patrick Maloney is to lose, it'd be the first time in decades that we've seen a chief of a congressional campaign committee lose in their election cycle. And so a lot of, of Democrats really trying to refocus their messaging, refocusing their resources toward not only the areas that they think they're most vulnerable in, but also the messaging that they think is becoming to be more vulnerable for them as well. Right. What are we seeing on the Senate side? As I mentioned, you know, the House, they're they're pretty aggressive in what they're doing. It seems like things will swing their way there. But this, where the Senate figures in, they're picking and choosing a little bit more how they're allocating things. They are. And it's interesting because we do see a little bit of a split on the Senate side as well. So when you look at Republicans, Republicans campaign are the NRSC run by Rick Scott. They've been very careful about ensuring that they can win in the races where they think they have the best chances. Right. That's Ohio, North Carolina, a little bit more concern about Georgia and Pennsylvania, but they remain insistent that they think they'll win those. And places like Arizona, New Hampshire, that were always going to be tough battlegrounds, they're actually looking to boost more spending there. So I think I spoke with their team this week and they were telling me that 
they're seeing an attitude shift away from the defensive posture that they've been taking to make sure that they can win in the states needed to gain the majority and looking at a more aggressive approach now and one a riskier approach, I should add, to maximize chances at expanding the map. So yes, they want to have a certain number of states that they know could deliver them the majority, at least get them to the 51 line, if not bigger, to give, you know, make Mitch McConnell the majority leader. But now they're also looking to expand that majority as much as possible. And it shows just how confident they are in this current environment that they can do well. Well, like I said, it's the last couple of weeks. The hard push is now. Elena Train, congressional reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. You know, we've seen the EPA turn around and say, well, we think these guys are really at unreasonable risk of getting sick. And we've seen the chemical companies say, uh, no, these guys are, are protected by strict rules. There is heavy regulation. These guys are, are just fine. Joining us now is Kathleen McGrory, reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Kathleen. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about an interesting article you wrote about asbestos and the workers that are paying the price for having to work in uh, these chemical companies that, that uh, you know, use asbestos still in um, you know, a chlorine production and a, a few of other chemicals. A lot of countries were uh, outlawing asbestos. We know the dangers of inhaling asbestos. It can cause asbestosis. It can cause mesothelioma. I mean, if you're looking at uh, TV late at night, you know, you might even see you know, ads saying, hey, if you're a victim of mesothelioma, you know, we can get into a class action lawsuit. You know, we know the dangers yes. that asbestos pose. But while a lot of other countries were outlawing it, the United States never did. They made a lot of rules to regulate it and whatnot. But there's two major chemical companies. We're looking at OxyChem and Olin Corp that use asbestos in the production of chlorine and other things. And uh, they were given some passes to keep using it. And so workers there that worked in some of these plants were still subjected to a lot of asbestos. And, uh, you know, the worry is, is will they fall sick? So Kathleen, help us walk through. There's so much to talk about on this. 
You start off by mentioning that so many other countries have just gone ahead and banned asbestos outright. And it's because of the the reasons that you've alluded to, right, that we've known for such a long time that this is a deadly carcinogen, that it can lead to all types of negative health outcomes, some deadly. So over the years, we have seen many countries take steps to ban it outright. Now, that's not something that the United States has done. Uh, The EPA tried at one point in the 80s, but it was unable to get that ban uh, over the finish line, per se. Industry sued and its efforts were overturned. And what that's meant in practice is that there are still two major chemical companies, Oxychem and Olin Corp, that are still importing hundreds of tons of asbestos into the country each year and using it in their chlorine plants. You know, one of the things that's been interesting, kind of a a point of contention in in Washington, D.C. lately, where there have been renewed talks about moving forward with an asbestos ban after all these years, there have been some questions about the safety of the workers in these plants uh, who are still handling it. And, you know, we've seen the EPA turn around and say, well, we think these guys are really at unreasonable risk of getting sick. And we've seen the chemical companies say, uh, no, these guys are, are protected by strict rules. There's heavy regulation. These guys are, are just fine. So what we wanted to do as reporters at ProPublica was to really look at this and investigate it independently to get a sense of what was really happening on the ground. And that's kind of how we, we launched on this investigation. And you focus on the story on an OxyChem plant uh, near Niagara Falls. Uh, so OxyChem is owned by Occidental Patrol one of the largest energy companies. And you spoke to about 18 former employees because that plan has since been closed. But you spoke to about 18 former employees there. It was just talking about how lax some, I mean, they had the rules in place, but how lax some of the enforcement, I guess, was. And asbestos was kind of just everywhere. And we'll get into that in a moment. But just tell us briefly how asbestos gets into the body. It can get into the body any which way. You can breathe it in. It's so tiny. The little fibers get stuck into your esophagus, your lungs, the lining of your lungs, your heart, your stomach and intestines. And, you know, it can wreak havoc on the body in a lot of different ways. That's right. I mean, you breathe in these fibers that are invisible to the eye and they can get lodged in in any number of organs. And what they do is, you know, when they get stuck in, for example, the lining of the lungs. That leads to constant irritation. That leads to constant inflammation. You know, it can lead to there being the accumulation of water on the lining of the lungs over time. can also start to lead to cancers. And, you know, in the lining of the lungs, that's where we see mesothelioma, which is a a particularly bad cancer. It usually takes the life of of folks who develop it within just a few years of that diagnosis but can lead to many other different cancers as well. So back to the OxyChem plant there near Niagara Falls. Describe to us the process. Why do they use asbestos? I mean, they're, they're jolting um, some of this stuff with electricity so that it can separate the salt water into different substances. So we're looking at chlorine, caustic soda, and hydrogen. And they use asbestos as kind of a divider to keep the chemicals separate. Explain that process yeah. if you could. That's right. It's actually a, it's a really interesting process. It starts with salt water, uh, which is very basic. And what they do is they put a jolt of electricity through that salt water, and that act separates the elements, the chemicals, into chlorine, into caustic, and into hydrogen. But 
you know, you've got, imagine you've got a tank, they call it a cell uh, because it is, um, that's where the electric current is running through. And it's about the size of a dining room table. And it's got these three highly reactive chemical substances inside of it. And inside the tank, all of these things need to be kept separate. So what they do is they have a big metal screen in the middle of the tank that essentially exists to divide the chemicals to make sure they don't react with each other and explode. But we know chlorine, for example, is highly corrosive and will eat that metal. So in order to make sure that metal survives in the tank, they actually cover it with a thick coating of asbestos. This whole process, there's a lot of water obviously involved with this. The asbestos, all that stuff is always constantly supposed to remain wet so the particles Mm -hmm. don't fly into the air and all that. But the problem comes with after those things dry. You know, they splatter it with water, it goes all over the place, and then that stuff dries. And then that's kind of where the problem really starts. So as I mentioned, you spoke to about 18 former employees there at this particular plant. And what did they describe to you? Because despite the protocol set in place to keep things safe, you know, they were uh, telling you guys that the asbestos was just everywhere. Thick coatings, getting in people's mustaches and whatnot. It was just all over the place. Well, so you imagine these these big, thick screens that are 12 by 12. They're huge. They're coated with asbestos. They need to be recoated periodically. So in order to get the old asbestos off, what they would do is they would water blast them, essentially with a high power pressure washer, if you will, to remove that old asbestos. Then they would take the screen and dip it into a mixture of fresh asbestos. It's a wet mixture. And then bake that new asbestos on and then put the screen back into the tank, you know, and and as as you've said, rightly, the asbestos is less of an issue if it's not airborne because there's no way to breathe it in. But they described water blasting those screens as like, you know, taking a a hose over to a car when you are washing your car, you know, the dirt just doesn't fall nicely to the ground. It kind of splatters everywhere. And they said that that's what happened with the asbestos. It would get stuck on the walls, on the ceiling. It would get stuck on the light fixtures and the beams overhead. And, you know, it would be wet, obviously, in that moment, but that overnight, sometimes even faster than that in the summer when it was hot, it would dry. And then they would be left with this asbestos accumulating essentially everywhere. They said you could see it in the air when the light poured through the building. Sometimes it rolled across the floor. It almost looked like a tiny tumbleweed. And then in some places, it actually accumulated until it was inches thick. To your point, I mean, they just, they said it was everywhere and they said it would splash on their clothes. They would carry it around the plant, and then when it would dry, but kind of it would flake off. You know, one of the things that could possibly have contributed to all this was these plants were kind of placed in a special program that limited the amount of times they would be investigated by places like OSHA and whatnot. And so they didn't get very many inspections. And even when they did show up, you know, nothing was really flagged. So to authorities and all that, everything was kind of just on the up and up. But, you know, when you spoke to uh, experts, industrial hygiene and occupational health experts, I mean, they were pretty horrified by what they were hearing as far as these accounts from these workers here. What did um, OxyChem say for their part on all this? We reached out to OxyChem and we shared our findings with them. They had said that the accounts we heard from Niagara Falls were inaccurate. So we asked for some follow-up and and asked specifically what was inaccurate, but they declined to elaborate. They did issue a statement that said that safety is their top priority and that they followed 
federal regulations and that they allowed folks who felt that they were in a dangerous or precarious position to stop work instantly. But again, that that statement seemed to conflict with what these workers were telling us. And so now, as I mentioned, that that plant specific plant is closed. The company has other newer plants with a, a better technology now that you know they say they don't even need to use the asbestos anymore. So it's uh, increasingly being phased out even more, thankfully. But where are we on the regulatory side? It's still not banned asbestos. And you know, for these workers that you spoke through uh, spoke to for the story, I mean, there's concerns for the decades <laughs> that they work there. You know, that uh, something bad could uh, could be on the horizon for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned that these companies do have newer plants that have newer technology that doesn't need the asbestos, but they still do have together eight plants that rely on this asbestos technology. So there are still folks who are working uh, with the material every day at these eight plants still here in the U.S. I mean, as far as what's going on on a regulatory level, the EPA is trying again to ban asbestos outright in April They went ahead and published a proposed rule saying that this is their intention, Um, but there's a rulemaking process that needs to be followed, and that gives all stakeholders an opportunity to reach out and express their satisfaction with the language or concerns that they have about it. And what we're seeing right now is the industry coming out and really arguing that this isn't necessary and fighting for the continued use of asbestos in these chlorine plants. Uh, And one of the arguments that they have made and are continuing to make is that we should be able to keep using it because we use it safely. You know, as far as what's going to happen next, we don't really know. Uh, We had a conversation with folks at EPA and they said that they, you know, intend to to follow the science, that they wouldn't be backing down from the science, you know, but in, in previous iterations of this fight, we have seen that industry is a strong force, you know, and, and has the ability to challenge these things legally um, and sometimes in the court of public opinion. So it's really too soon to know exactly what's going to happen here. Kathleen McGorry, reporter at ProPublica, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
if you dare.